0: Well good morning and welcome to Brighton Road. It's lovely to see you all here and for those of you who are joining us online also welcome. Uh, My prayer is that uh, wherever you are today here or online and you're in your own homes whatever your age and however long or short you have been walking with Jesus uh, that uh, God will meet with you this morning. Today we're continuing Um, our look at Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, with a particular focus on the remaining verses of chapter 1, under the banner of tough love. Tough love. Hmm. Well, that could be understood in more than one way, and uh, for our worship this morning, um, I would like for us to view it as God's love that is tough enough to withstand anything. And I'm sure that Tim's going to take it in a different direction, but... Um, uh, for, for our worship this morning, let's focus on God's love that is tough enough to withstand anything. In Isaiah 43, we read, and this is the message version. The God who made you in the first place, the one who got you started, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head... I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Saviour. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich Cush and Seba thrown in, that's how much You mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'll sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. When we are at our weakest, lowest, God's love is tough enough to withstand the price to be paid to rescue and restore us. So let us stand to sing, worship and praise the one whose love is amazing. And can it be? Let's stand to sing if we're able. on in his book Isaiah wrote uh, these words Uh, we find them in chapter 54 though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed yet my unfailing love says God for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you I want to read those words for you again. Let them sink in. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. What a promise. What a promise to hold on to. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Though we may shake. Though we may stumble. God's love for us remains unfailing and will not be shaken. Let us respond to those encouraging words with two songs of praise and gratitude. Our first is, above all powers, above all kings, God is above all. Let's stand to sing. now in a prayer uh, originally written by a guy called Jeff Shreve but I ask that you make it your own prayer. In a couple of places I'm going to uh, stop speaking so that you can silently add what's personal to you. So let's pray. Dear God, I hate to say it but I've been guilty of grumbling and griping about all my problems and trials. I fail to be thankful and to remember that you are at work in my life, even through all the troubles. Please forgive me, God. I want to be a person who keeps my eyes on you and praises you, no matter what may come my way. So thank you, God, for these good things, these blessings that are in my life. And God, I want to thank you also. I also want to bring you those things that I'm finding really hard at the moment, the challenges that I'm facing. Lord God, I know you are in control of all things. I know you love me and work all things together for my good. I choose to trust you, Lord. Teach me to be a praiser who always finds the good and not a complainer who always finds the bad. In Jesus' name, Amen. And now we turn to our reading that uh, Tim will be speaking on later from 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, starting at verse 23. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. (coughs) I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Let's continue in our worship as we stand and sing to one whose name is love. As we do so, uh, BRBK will be making their way upstairs and we pray that God will bless you in your time together. Let's stand if we're able to sing. Elizabeth is uh, now going to come and lead us in our prayers for the world But as we do so, um, she shall pause and we will alternate with the song Be still and know that I am God So, yeah
1: Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that we can come to you, the creator and sustainer of all things, in worship and adoration, and call you our Father. You created us, you have redeemed us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we belong to you. And as your children, we bring our prayers to you this morning. We pray for places and situations in our world where there is conflict and brokenness. And ask that in your goodness and mercy, you will bring relief, comfort and hope. We pray for nations torn apart by war. Communities split by ethnic Racial or religious conflict, people devastated by natural disasters, crushed by poverty, or oppressed by the authorities that rule over them. In a few moments of silence, we think of particular places or people around the world that need your peace, your justice, your reconciliation and your healing. In each of these situations, you will come to the aid of those who are suffering, raising up peacemakers and leaders of integrity, and working through your church around the world to bring practical help and hope to people in despair. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will shine your light into their hearts, so that many will say with the Apostle Peter, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. We ask these things in his name. for the privilege we have of living in peace and security in this town. But we know that many in our local community are struggling with the effects of rising prices and are fearful about what the future holds. We pray for the work of Horsham Matters and ask that you will stir our hearts to provide the financial and prayer support needed for the food bank and other services provided by local churches we pray too for the work of Together in Horsham supporting and counselling young people in local schools we ask for wisdom for all those involved in leading these projects as they make decisions about how to use the financial resources available and we pray for all those providing the day to day help and support that you would fill them with compassion so that their words and actions proclaim their love for you And we thank you for the team running the Saturday Kitchen here. We pray that the families who have started to come along each week will be at ease, get to know people and see something different in our lives that catches their attention. Above all, we pray that these will be the first steps for them to meet with Jesus and experience your healing power transforming their lives. for ourselves, in our church, in our homes and in our daily lives. As the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, we pray that we will not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds as we offer our lives to you, so that we may be able to test and approve what is your good, pleasing and perfect will. You know each of our joys and struggles, hopes and fears, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in us and through us today and in the week ahead so that we may live joyfully for you, whatever our circumstances. Christ be our light. Shine in our hearts. Shine through the darkness. Christ be our light. Shine in your church. Gather today. Amen.
0: continue in a prayerful attitude I'd I'd like to read for you a poem by um, someone called Lisa D Scott and she calls this work Created When God created you he knew what he would see someone that wasn't perfect or in heaven he would be he put you here on earth to lead this life you live, learning As you go Giving what you can give He knew that you would stumble And sometimes even fall He knew that you would suffer And in Jesus Christ you'd call Mistakes and bad decisions He knew you would make To live and learn from them Sometimes feel they're more than you can take He's had a plan for you from the very first day. Frustrating times will be, but soon you'll see his way. Love, hope and faith, he'll give this all to you. Patience, please, my friend. How only if you knew. The love you have inside you, all the good that you do, this does not go unnoticed and he shall see it too. He'll carry you if he needs to and hold you when you pray. He knows the pain you carry each and every day. One day you will see what I've been telling you the love that he's been saving, he created just for you. Before Tim comes and speaks on um, the 1 Corinthians passage, let's sing love before the dawn of time we were chosen by our maker and we are cherished for eternity let's stand to sing
2: Thanks, Marian. You know, some letters that are written should never be read by the person they're written to. You might have written letters like that in your time. Letters where you pour out your soul onto the paper, expressing whatever's in your heart, all the rubbish that's there, all the anger, the pain the hurt and the frustration, saying all the things you just want to say to that person but you wouldn't dream of saying it to them face to face. Then if you're sensible, you sleep on it before sending the letter or you get someone else to read it through and advise you on whether you should really send it or not and on second thoughts you decide the best place for the letter is in the shredder where it can join your emotions. The trouble with emails, of course, is that you write it and you press send and it's gone straight away at the click of a mouse. With a letter, even if you do decide to send it, you still have to put it in an envelope, address it, put a stamp on it, take it down the post box. there is time to process what you've written and just that bit of delay before you put it in the letterbox to have second thoughts. But an email, in the heat of the moment, a click and it's gone and you can't get it back. So have you ever sent a letter or an email that you deeply regret sending because of the pain it caused? Maybe you never intended to hurt the person you were writing to. I've received some pretty hurtful letters in my time and some of them from people writing with the best of intentions, not really dreaming that that's how it would come across when I read what they'd written. Good intentions, but perhaps a small amount of sensitivity and understanding. So, the principle is clear. If there's something difficult you have to say, the rule of thumb is, say it face to face. Don't put it in a letter. Don't put it in an email. Words on the page can be so easily misconstrued. In a face to face encounter, you can see the effect that your words are having. If you're upsetting someone, okay, okay, I'll take a a step back, if they're misunderstanding what I'm saying, I, I, I try and correct that. You can tailor your response accordingly. But the letter, there's no chance to do that. It just goes on and on and on and on and goes from bad to us. Like Pilate, you've written what you've written. And it can be very tough on the person who ends up reading it. So I have to say it is most <coughs> disconcerting to discover that when Paul had some pretty harsh things to say that the church at Corinth he sent them a letter, rather than going there in person. Sorry Paul, it's bad practice. I've got to say that. And the church were devastated by the letter. And the passage that we read today is a bit of damage limitation on his part, as he tries to, to sort out and explain himself, and this is why I wrote the letter, it wasn't to hurt you, It's just to tell you how much I loved you, and try and set the record straight. And he did it by writing yet another letter, as to said, rather than going again in person. If he did have any regrets about sending that earlier letter, he doesn't betray them here. It's a little exercise in in self-justification, really. He wrote rather than coming to them in person because he wanted to spare them, he says. Well, maybe. He also wanted to spare himself the kind of humiliation and distress he'd suffered at their hands the last time he'd been to see them. He didn't want a rerun of that. You should be bringing me joy, he says. The last thing I want is for you to cause me distress again. His previous visit had been a complete and utter disaster. There had been a major confrontation between Paul and one one of the members of the church. And the church had basically hung Paul out to dry. They'd sided with this guy against him. And it had all gone very badly wrong. Paul had been badly hurt. The situation was a mess. Their relationship was at breaking point. And that's why he doesn't want to go back again. That's why, blunt instrument as it is, he'd rather write them a letter. What does he envisage might have happened had he gone back in person? Well, in his letters he repeatedly repeatedly threatens that he will come down very hard on some people in the church if they don't get their house in order. He talks about coming with a rod, a symbol of forcible control, making severe use of his authority, almost threatening to beat them into submission it feels like. Had he gone in person he would have come down on some people like a tongue of bricks and the result could have been very ugly indeed. That may be why he says at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that he doesn't lord it over their faith. The problem was that um, they they trusted in Christ because of him, he's the one who led them to Christ but the behaviour of at least some of them was making him question whether or not they were the genuine article. And the last thing he wanted to do was to use his God-given authority to tear down their faith because that was the very basis on which their lives were, were built. You are standing on your faith. He says, this is the only ground you've got to stand on. Because they'd come to faith in Christ as a result of his ministry, because he had a degree of authority over them because of that, the last thing he wanted to do was to derail that and demolish their platform. His great desire was to work with them To bring them joy. But even though he longed for them to be a source of joy rather than pain in his heart, even though he longed to share joy with them, he couldn't see how any joy could come out of his pain in the visit. So instead he wrote them a letter. It was a letter, as one commentator describes it, a gut-wrenching emotion. The outpouring of a broken heart written through floods of tears. A letter written, he says, not to cause them grief or pain, but to show them just how much he loved them, despite the way in which they treated him. And so, for better or worse, the fateful letter was sent. And, spoiler alert, even though it upset them dreadfully, it seemed to do the trick actually. They were so appalled at how Paul felt. It brought home to them how badly they treated him. They decided they would get their house in order. The man who had been out of line in terms of confronting Paul, they, they, they imposed some kind of sanction upon him. And uh, Paul writes the, the passage that we're reading in 2 Corinthians in response, grateful response, the news that the church in Corinth have acknowledged that they're way out of line in terms of how they treated Paul and they just wanted to get the relationship back on track again. Well, hallelujah. God works even through badly written letters sometimes. That's the grace of God at work for you. But I want to ask, what was it about Paul's letter which meant that they responded in the right way? How did his letter achieve the aim of opening the door to reconciliation rather than just slamming it shut forever because he'd upset them so badly as they'd upset him? Well, it looks like when the church listened to his letter, it did come across that Paul was writing with their best interests at heart. And even though it was a painful letter and he was brutally honest with them, his love for them, did shine through. What he penned was not just an outpouring of raw emotion, his own hurt, his own sense of rejection spilling out onto the page in horrible accusations. He claims he wrote not just to cause them pain, but to show his love for them. His primary concern was for their well being, not for his own devastation or distress the way which they treated him. He talks about distress and anguish of heart, as if his heart is compressed here, restricted, almost as if he can't breathe properly. What if he is describing physical symptoms here? What if he is talking about heart palpitations and panic attacks? What if he was so upset by what was going on this affected him in a physical way? These kind of physical heart symptoms can be triggered by fear. What if he was that anxious about their well-being? Breathlessness, heart palpitation, panic attacks. These are the the signs of stress caused by acute anxiety. What if he was actually sick with worry over them? And it was that which he expressed, that which they picked up, they realised my words. Look how much this man really does love us. And if that's what Paul was going through, if that's what he managed to communicate in the letter, then you can understand why they were moved to respond in the way that they did. Here was a man in pain, but whose pain was clearly caused by his love for those who treated him very badly. And who managed to express and communicate that in a letter which let them know just how upset he was. And he was able to do that because his love for them, his commitment to them was genuine. And love hurts. Principally, love hurts because the person loving makes themselves vulnerable to being hurt. I don't think you can love without being vulnerable, really. You can't love without being hurt sometimes. Jesus shows that supremely on the cross, doesn't he? It's there in the suffering of Jesus, the intense suffering of Jesus for the world, but we see God's love for the world. The ultimate expression of God's love is the pain that his son went through on the cross. You want evidence that love hurts? You look at Jesus. You see it there. God can't love us without hurting for the world, without hurting at our rejection of him, the sin that we commit, the pain that's in the world, taking all that into himself. Love hurts. You can't love without being vulnerable. But love also hurts because sometimes love says things that the other person would rather not hear. Speaking the truth in love is very difficult to do. Sometimes we think because I love that person I'm going to keep quiet. That's not always the most loving thing to do. Sometimes we speak, but not in a loving way and and, and cause damage without achieving anything. Love finds a way of expressing what needs to be said. And that can be difficult to say and difficult to hear sometimes. But if we walk together and watch over each other as we are called to do, that sometimes means we need to say the difficult things to each other to keep each other on track. And I guess a key test of whether such words are genuinely spoken in love or not is whether, yes, we we have the the genuine aim of the other person's well-being, but also we speak such words gently and with trepidation, recognising that however well-meaning we may be, it's easy to get it badly wrong. So whenever we speak, we need to listen first, carefully, attentively, empathetically so we don't just impose our views on them what we think they need to hear without really understanding who they are what they're going through where they come from love sometimes says the difficult thing but love always listens first carefully to where the other person is at and then cautiously with trepidation might speak but we are respectful to the other person's point of view And recognise the risk that we ourselves might get it wrong. Humility is a key part of love speaking to somebody else. The projected title of the sermon when I planned it was Tough Love. And I chose it because when planning this series, I thought, yes, real love sometimes has hard things to say that people don't want to hear. And that was the case with Paul's letter. Intense emotion expressed in pen and ink that people didn't want to hear, but it had the desired effect. But as I wrote this sermon, I wondered whether that was really the best title to have chosen, because, yeah, vulnerable love might have been better. Yes, it does take tough love to keep on loving when someone else keeps pushing you away. But if that love is genuine, then the person who loves is in for a lot of emotional pain as pause. And Paul did not respond to the way which they treated him by forcing his authority on them because genuine love is never controlling. We're not lording it over your faith, he says to them. He didn't want to end up in a situation where he was dictating to the Corinthians. That's why he refrained from visiting them. He didn't want to set up a scenario where he would end up laying down the law. He wanted to appeal to them on the basis of his love For them. And so he wrote this letter. In our relationship, let's pause for a moment with a reality check. Love is never controlling. Paul did not want to force his authority upon them, he did not want to lord it over his faith. Those would not have been loving courses of action. And if someone is controlling or seeking to control you, then they are not treating you in a loving way. To be honest, coercive control is a recognised form of abuse. According to the Cedar network, it's a pattern of behaviour that seeks to take away someone's liberty or freedom to strip away their sense of self. The controller creates a world in which someone else is constantly monitored and criticised and every move is, is checked against an unpredictable, ever-changing, unknowable rulebook. And if you're being controlled like that, it's like being taken hostage, becoming captive in an unreal world created by someone who is controlling and abusing, trapping the person in the world of confusion, contradiction and fear. Love does not control people in that kind of way. However much it masks itself with the appearance of love, love is not controlling. It can happen in the home, it can happen in churches, where it takes the form of a spiritual abuse, where religious authority and emotional manipulation are used to control people's behaviour. That is what Paul avoided in writing this letter to the Corinthians. That's one of the reasons why love, genuine love, is always self-giving, a love which seeks the well-being of the other, and that is the hallmark of true Christian discipleship. And if you find yourself being controlled by somebody else at home or in church, please, please have a word with a Christian whom you know and trust about finding a way out of that into the freedom that is God's loving gift to all his children. Because genuine love never controls. It doesn't manipulate. Genuine love sets people free. And that's the love that Paul had for the church at Corinth. His gut-wrenching, heart-stopping letter, written in floods of tears, alerts us to just how difficult and painful human relationships can be. Yes, even with the church, believe it or not, even New Testament church. Church is full of imperfect, hurting people who frequently get it wrong. That's why whenever we speak, we need to fish our words out of the clear, fresh water of God's spirit in our hearts. Not the stale, stagnant water of our own emotional hurts and grievances. What am I drawing on when I speak? Is it my own sense of rejection and hurt and anger and pain? Or am I looking to express the Spirit of God in what I say and how I say it? and Devenson put it this way. Pain, joy, sorrow, happiness. Four angels at work on the well of love. Pain and sorrow dig it deep with aches. Joy and happiness fill it up with tears that come with smiles. Let's pray. Thank you for your love which bears our pain. Thank you for your love which sets us free. Thank you that you pour your love into our hearts. And whether our hearts today be full of pain and sorrow or joy and happiness. Lord, would you bathe us in the clean water of your Holy Spirit. Where we have been hurt, would you heal us? Where we have been broken, Would you mend us? Where we have inflicted damage on others, would you forgive us and repair what we have done? And would you help us to love as you have loved us? To forgive as you have forgiven us. Where we are wrong, would you put us right? Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we appeal to, to God in the words of our closing hymn, Love divine, all love's excelling. Joy of heaven to earth, come down, fix in us. Thy humble dwelling. However unworthy we are, God wants to implant His love, His presence, deep within our hearts today. Love divine or love's excelling. Someone to pray with you after the service. We have a team here who are willing and able to pray with you, we just like come forward to the front, they will pray for you as the service closes. May the love of Christ be active in your heart, be heard in your words, be seen in your actions, and inform your choices
3: today and all day.